Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. Great songs with a great truth. And uh, so we thank you for that, musicians and singers. As our pastor's away today, we're blessed and honored to have Dr. Howard Wilburn with us. He's a familiar face and a familiar uh, voice at our church. He's spoken many times, including at the old facility when we were back on Pisgah Church Road. So it's always a joy to have him. He's been introduced in many ways. He certainly uh, has a, a wonderful testimony in ministry and leadership. Uh, served as senior pastor for Salem Baptist Church over in Winston for many years. And parallel to that, was also president of Piedmont International University. Served as chancellor for a while in that position. Uh, was over Salem when it also included Salem Baptist Christian School and Camp Marywood Ministries. And so just a wide variety of experience and leadership. And I've always appreciated that so much about him. One other element uh, that I don't believe our church has been introduced with him is his military service. He served in the United States Air Force and uh, during the Vietnam era. And so he has that as also part of what the Lord used in him. And so I'm always grateful and thankful to have the opportunity to have him here to speak for us. And so let's welcome Dr. Wilburn as he comes today. Thank you. Thank you, <clears throat> Dr. Miller, and thank you for um, uh, allowing me to come back to uh, Gospel Baptist Church and share something with you from the Word of God. Again, I enjoy every visit, and I thank you for the, uh, for the opportunity. It's a blessing to me to be able to come. It's an honor to me to be able to come. Take your Bibles, if you would, please, and turn in God's Word to Luke chapter 22, and we'll get there uh, in a few moments to some verses in Luke chapter 22. I, uh, I love your pastoral staff. I honor your pastoral staff. And, uh, and I often say that not only do I know them and like them, but I respect them. And that's a pretty profound thought. Pastor Paul is one of the most godly, kind, gracious, humble men of God I know. He, he's, he's, he is a person with clay feet, I understand. But he is a man of God par excellence. And I often say that when the book on faithfulness is written, he will have a major chapter. He's been so faithful in the assignment God has given him here at Gospel Baptist Church. And that's a rarity in the day in which we live. And I appreciate him so much. But I also appreciate the rest of your staff. I appreciate Brother Greg Smith. And uh, he is a servant. He gets up every morning to serve. And he does. He does an extremely good job. And when I come here to speak, he's in touch with me before I get here. He stays uh, uh, really close to help me when, um, wh when I'm here. And I am just grateful for the service to Christ that he gives. And I appreciate him, uh, him as well. And Dr. Miller, Dr. Harley is, um, is a workhorse par excellence. He's involved in a lot of ministries. He... Um, He's here at Gospel Baptist doing a good job and, and has overseen so many things over the years. And he is also involved in the Bible Institute here in Greensboro. And then he has a significant ministry influencing men and women for Christ and preparing them for service in whatever vocation they go into at Piedmont International University in Winston-Salem. And I commend him as well. Now we'll go to Luke chapter 22. In a stressful moment, I don't think I have to describe stressful moments to any of you. Every one of us have stressful periods of our lives or just moments that rise up and, um, and shock us because what we're feeling is so intense, we're just not quite sure we'll be able to endure it. But in a stressful moment, Simon Peter denied the Lord Jesus, and that is the account that we will be looking at 
uh, in this text today. But what's the possibility? What is the possibility that you? And I've left that blank. I kind of dot, dot, dot because I didn't want to say anymore. But let the Holy Spirit make an application of this to you. What is the possibility that you may fail Christ in some form? Ponder the thought. We're always told in college never to start off a sermon with a negative thought. Eh, this one's a little down, isn't it? But God wants to tell you and me something about this kind of a situation when we encounter those stressful moments in our lives or those stressful periods of time in our lives. So ponder and consider what God would instruct you and me about these issues from the text we're about to look at. Now, the occasion you know well. The occasion is the event that we call the Last Supper. It is that time when our Lord Jesus is anticipating death at Calvary. The very purpose for which he came to do the will of the Father. He will, in a few hours, he is currently, as we read the text, being betrayed by Judas Iscariot. But within a few hours, he will have been arrested, tried illegally, a sentence will have been pronounced, and he will be hanging on an old rugged cross. Pretty intense moment. But in that moment, which is in his character, he is also doing everything within his possibility to prepare the disciples. Peter and all of the others, except for Judas, are here and he is preparing them for what they're going to face in the next few hours, in the next few days, and the coming era when he has gone back to heaven in the ascension back where he came from to be seated at the right hand of the Father in victory to intercede for us in heaven, and he is preparing them for what they're going to be facing. But what are they doing? How is it that they are responding in this very intense moment? You have Luke chapter 22. Would you look, please, at verse 14? And when the hour was come, he sat down, and the twelve apostles with him. And he said unto them, With desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And what are the disciples doing? In that moment, down, please, to verse 24. And there was also a strife among them, which of them should be accounted the greatest. Can you imagine? Could it be? Jesus had come to the, his appointment from eternity past. He will be arrested, beaten, Tried, sentenced, nailed to a cross for their very sins and ours as well. And he's preparing them for these moments in the future ministry they will have. And what are they doing? They're discussing who will be the greatest in the kingdom. Pretty easy to be out of touch, isn't it? Well, talk about being out of touch. How in touch? or out of touch, are you and me with what God is doing, what Christ is doing in this world? 
in Greensboro, in Gospel Baptist Church, in your life individually. How in touch or out of touch are you? Well, here's a biblical example of how it often goes. And with that in mind, look at verse 31, please. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. Wow. Satan, the roaring lion, seeks to destroy you, Simon, and you and me. Now, a couple of things about this statement. Simon, Simon. Number one, Jesus reverts to his former name. Christ renamed him Peter. But dear Jesus goes back to the former name, and Simon Peter will be reverting to his former vocation very shortly. He will fail the Lord Jesus in the next few hours. And in dejection and defeat, he will go home to Galilee and he will go a fishing. He will return to that vocation that he once had before Christ called him and made him an apostle. But secondly, it's just an attention-getter, a somber tone to this statement in the first part of verse 31. It signifies this is important. Simon, listen to me. It's almost as though you say to a child, sit up and pay attention. Simon, listen to me. Now, what he says next is infinitely scary. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked for you. And the word ask in our English usage indicates some request is made. I've already asked you a question this morning. What's the possibility that you dot, dot, dot? I made a request of you so that you mentally could ponder the thought and sort of fill in the blank. But this ask is much more profound. There is a concern in this expression because the word that Christ uses means Satan begged God. It could even be translated, Satan demanded to have you, Simon. He's asked for you. He wants to take over your life. The verb asked is in the middle voice. It means Satan has asked you for himself. He begged God to let him have you for his use. God had his will for Simon Peter and the other disciples. Jesus is preparing them. But Satan is demanding of God to have them for his use, not Christ's use. Is it possible that Satan might wish to have me or you? That he might divert you from what God wants you to be and God wants you to do to that which he would choose in your life? But there's one more thing about this word. Here it is from a Greek lexicon. It means to ask for something and receive what you asked for. To ask with success. Satan made a request to God 
And God has permitted Satan to have the opportunity to afflict Simon Peter in a most stressful kind of way. Now, it's very similar to the book of Job. When Satan accused Job before God. But it's not just asking for Simon Peter. There's something more here. The word you, the pronoun, it's plural in the verse. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked for all of you. He wants to take the whole group of you. He doesn't want you, Simon Peter, to be useful for Christ. He wants to use you for what he chooses, nor does he want any other of the 11 of you to be useful to the Lord Jesus. Yes, for all of you. And here we are at Gospel Baptist Church on this Sunday morning in July of 2019. The devil does not just have Pastor Paul as his target, or Brother Greg as his target, or Dr. Harley as his target. All of you are walking bullseyes for Satan to attack you, defeat you, and use you for his purpose instead of God's. Do you believe that the evil one wants a single soul to get saved at Gospel Baptist Church this year? Do you think he wants one more person, except maybe some emissary of his own for disruption, to come to this house of God? Does he think, do you think that he wants your pastor to be powerful in his life and ministry to the saints of God in this assembly and his proclamation of the truth of the Word of God, which he does so capably and so well? Do you think that he wants you to be successful for Jesus in the least? Simon, Simon, he's demanded to have you for himself. And the word of caution, in addition to this concern, he wants to ruin you, Simon. He wants his purpose to be done in your life, not God's purpose. But there is a consolation, and I find this to be almost shouting grounds. Here's the consolation. He has to get God's permission to do anything to you if you're saved. Isn't it good? has to ask God first. But God allowed him to tempt Simon. What may God permit in my life in the next seven days? What may God choose to do in your own life, in your own walk, for the purpose of preparing you for what he has next and enabling you to be a trophy of grace for the glory of the one who saved your soul? Simon, Simon, he has demanded to have you for himself that he may sift you as wheat, which is to to harvest something and separate the chaff from the wheat in the inner part of the grain, which is nutritious and, and, and good for partaking for human benefit. He wants to shake you, to separate you as wheat is separated from chaff. Satan is seeking to shake you violently, violently, as one sifts wheat to cause you to fall. It's like the farmer shakes the wheat 
in one way or another with one machine or another. This past week, my wife and I went out on a picnic. She wanted to spend a little bit of time with her. She couldn't travel with me this weekend, going to be away for a couple of days. And we're up in West Virginia at our little cottage we have up there. We live in the Richmond, Virginia area, Midlothian, Virginia. But in the summertime, we go to our cottage in West Virginia in the mountains where it's cooler and very pleasant. And this little place where I grew up, and I grow a garden, and I have some fruit trees, and, and we work on that place and love every minute of being there. And Judy has a lot of relatives there. My relatives are all either dead or in jail, but hers are still there, and I have already gotten out. And they are, uh, they're there for her two sisters, two brothers, and she loves to spend time with them. So we're off on this time of a picnic at Babcock State Park up in West Virginia, where some of you have been. And um, while we were there, we went through the mill, the grind mill, the grist mill. Where they, where they grind grain. Now, this particular mill goes back to the 1890s, 1892, actually. Uh, and they, um, it's kind of interesting what they do in the place. And the miller was describing some things for us. And one of the things he had was this device, which is called a winnowing machine. And with a winnowing machine, you pour the grain in a tray, which is tilted on top. And then below that, as the grain is allowed to come out of that bin, it falls down through a series of screens. Now, this is not technology from Jesus' day, but it's still the same idea. But it falls down through a screen, which is fairly large holes in the screen, takes away some of the chaff, lets the rest of it fall through. The second screen is more narrow than the first, takes away more of the chaff and the, the sort of thing that you want to get rid of that aren't uh, edible and lets the heart of the grain fall down. And finally, the third screen is uh, the most narrow of all. So you get only the nutritious part, the inner part of the grain. And then over on the side, he has a crank on that old machine, and he let me turn that crank. And when the crank is turned, it lets some grain out of the top and down through those, those screens, and as the crank is turned, it shakes those screens back and forth. And the faster you turn the, uh, the crank, the more violent the shaking is of those screens. It gives an illustration of what Jesus is telling Simon Peter. Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you as sweet. He's going to shake you violently. Some of you have been there and you know what it is to be shaken violently. For those of you who haven't been, if God spares your life, I don't want to scare you, but you will be. Life does that. And if you choose to walk with Christ, your evil individual who seek to defeat you will do that in your life as well. But, verse 32, please. In verse 32. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Jesus, the omnipotent sovereign, seeks to protect you. The evil one demands to have you, that he might sift you as wheat, break you down, ruin your testimony, defeat your life, turn you away from serving the Lord Jesus for all practical purposes, even appearing to walk with the Lord Jesus. But God, hallelujah, but Christ. Christ 
announces to Simon Peter, I seek to protect you. Simon, I have prayed for you. I, it's this emphatic pronoun, I, me, myself, I. This morning before I came down to speak in the first service, I received a text message from a very good friend of mine, a gentleman I love greatly in the Lord Jesus, and he said, I'm praying for you this morning. As you go to preach today, I'm praying for you. Just want you to know I'm holding you before the Lord. So I said, great, thank you for doing that. What a joy that is to my soul and comfort to my soul and encouragement to me to know that I'm being bathed in prayer before I get up there in the pulpit. But would you pray for something specifically? Pray for me and my nerves, my shakiness. 51 years of gospel ministry have had their impact. Do you know how hard it is to work at Baptist for 51 years? That is something to behold. And now I sometimes shake. Hasn't been very many weeks ago I'm at a church, but my hand is shaking so much that I, that I have the remote control, the clicker, and I can't, my thumb is shaking, and I can't hit the right spot with it. And I kept making mistakes. Then I finally just turned it off. But I do that sort of thing in my nervous exhaustion. So I said, Andy, will you pray for me that I won't be so nervous this morning? And I'm grateful that he is doing precisely that as I've gone through this morning and he has gone to his own church service in that particular place. And Jesus is praying for Simon Peter. How infinitely more wonderful than having another human being pray for you. Jesus used pray. It's a different word than ask, Simon used. I'm sorry, that Satan was asking for Simon back in verse 31. And this prayed means he urgently pled with God on Peter's behalf. Now the pronoun you in verse 31 is plural. All of you disciples, Satan wants all of you. But now, when Jesus is praying, you is singular. He's praying just for Simon. I like that thought. Is it possible that there are moments of my life and my walk with Christ that my Lord in glory, mentioning my name? Yes. Your name? Well, of course. It's a wonderful thought to think about. Now, he prayed for Peter. Now, I personally believe that when Jesus asked a petition of the Father, that petition is granted. And I'm aware that in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me, but if not, I will drink it. But when he offers a specific request to the Father in the Father's will, it's always granted. So he's obviously not your praying that Peter will not deny him because Peter did. And if that's true, Jesus' prayer wasn't answered. What is he praying for? Well, it's embedded in the verse. I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. That your faith won't fail. You will fall into error. You will not abandon me permanently. 
your faith will not fail. I have a grandson whose name is Titus, and Titus is now seven, and I'm, I'm loving the grandparent stage beyond measure. When he was about five, he, he said to his mother, and these are not the precise words, but the general gist of it, one morning he said, Mommy, I may grow up, but I will always have you in my heart. Isn't this sweet? Simon failed, but he always had Jesus in his heart. Simon failed, but his faith was not wiped out. Christ ensured that it was so the sovereign one of heaven protected Simon Peter. And what he did for Simon, he does for us. Now, I know that's true. Go to the Word of God. Say so. First John chapter 2, verse 1, Jesus Christ is our advocate. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. If we sin, he is there. But I love this text in Hebrews 4, and I go back to it often in my own mind and my own thoughts. In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. There it is. Right hand of the Father. Victorious position because of His sacrifice for us at Calvary's cross. Effective sacrifice for us. Presented His blood in our place. There He is, our advocate, our high priest. Whenever we are in a moment of challenge, we go to Christ and He pleads with the Father. That which is in the will of the Father, that which is to the glory of God, He presents those requests and they always answer. He knows what you're going through. He knows what's just over the hill. He knows what to ask the Father on your behalf. I like these thoughts. Petition granted to Satan. He was allowed to challenge Peter. Protection extended from Christ. Christ was the defense. Now that's good stuff. And the same Jesus who defended Simon is here at the right hand of the Father to defend you and me. And that is precious beyond measure. But it goes on in the verse. When you are converted, Peter, when you are returned, Peter, when you repent, Peter, I have a job for you to do. Contrast the purpose, Satan's purpose, destroy him, defeat him, wipe out his testimony, remove him from service for the Lord permanently, put him on the shelf, put him under anything. Christ's purpose bring you, even though you have failed, to a position of effective service bearing fruit for the glory of God and Christ Jesus our Savior. When you've turned again, Peter, 
By the way, the word, the pronoun you in this case and return is emphatic, an emphatic statement, which means you will return, Peter. You'll fail, but you will return. Peter's true faith was revealed in his repentance. The fact that he was truly born again was not revealed in his sin or the fact that he was sinless because he wasn't sinless. It simply revealed the attack of the enemy and the weakness of his own nature. And maybe I should say the strength of his own nature. And he failed. But he shows what he really is inside as he turns back and repents up there on the Sea of Galilee in John chapter 21 when the Lord Jesus said, Simon, son of Jonas, do you love me? Feed my sheep. God has a work for Simon. You remember the acronym P-B-P-G-I-N-F-W-M-Y. You all remember that, right? None of you remember it, right? Please be patient. God is not finished with me yet. How is it finished with Simon Peter? And he's not finished with you. You're alive. You're sitting in the house of God on a Sunday morning. You still have strength and health somewhat. And you still have an opportunity in your life to be useful for the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a wonderful thing that it's so. Simon will go on to be useful. He'll preach at Pentecost and thousands will be saved. He'll lead the disciples. He'll lead the church of Jerusalem. He will open the doors of the church to the Jews in John chapter 2 and the Gentiles, I'm sorry, in Acts chapter 2 and the Gentiles in Acts chapter 9 in the salvation of Cornelius in Acts 9 and 10. I don't know what God has for you out there, but I can tell you God has good things to allow you to do for his glory and for his honor. William Barclay said, we cannot really help a person until we've been in the same furnace of affliction or the same abyss of shame as he or she has been. Hmm. Judy and I have friends up at Emmanuel Baptist Church in Richmond where we are members. They're um, they're just like us, blue-collar people, working-class people. He heads up a whole uh, department of repairing uh, home appliances, washing machines, refrigerators, home appliances. And she, a job as well. They just kind of make a living. But those two people who work hard, they also serve tired bodies, not much money, but they give a lot to a ministry for Christ in Richmond that is a ministry to alcoholics and drug addicts. They spend themselves in that ministry. Why? What's that all about? Well, because they used to be drug addicts. They went through that same ministry in the same building. And God saved their souls. And God brought them back to a position of fruit. 
Now they walk with Christ. Now they serve in their local church. Now they honor him in their lives, and they pour themselves into that ministry because they walk in those shoes. Simon, you're walking in shoes, but God has something on the other side of your failure for you. God has something ahead of you that's going to be good. No promises that there'll be no challenges in your life. There will be. No promises that you're not a walking target, a bullseye for the devil. You are. And he will fire at will. No promises that you'll never stumble and fall. You have. You do. You will. But promises... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, to whom we can turn. And on the other side of forgiveness, he has wonderful things you can still do for him. Verses 33 and 34. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with them, or with thee, both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. You, the well-meaning follower of Jesus, intend with all your soul to be faithful. You really do. Peter did. The words of Simon Peter in verse 33 are words he absolutely meant. The text says he spoke the more vehemently. He spoke the more emphatically. I will not. I'll go to prison with you, Lord. I'll die with you, Lord. The genuineness of our intentions, like Simon Peter's, often exceed our ability. We underestimate the power of the evil one. We underestimate the control of the old nature, and we overestimate ourselves. And Simon did. Go with me in your mind. Will you travel with me to the city of Jerusalem? The night of the Last Supper. The night of the betrayal of the Lord Jesus. Judas Iscariot has betrayed him. The night of the arrest of Christ. There in that courtyard outside Caiaphas' house, Simon Peter was fired at by the evil one who demanded to have him. And Simon crumbled. In the stress of that moment, he denied that he knew the Lord Jesus. He didn't go in there to be imprisoned with Jesus. He stood out there and denied he even knew him. He didn't go to death with the Lord Jesus the next day. Tonight, he even knew him. In your mind, do you see the scene? It's Caiaphas' house. There is a house there today on Mount Zion that is uh, referred to as Caiaphas' house. You can visit, perhaps some of you have. You can even go down in the basement of that house and see that hole in the ground. Just a hole dug out in the ground with a a grate on top, where they put the prisoner down and covered it up with the grate. Jesus would have been in 
one of them, maybe that one, maybe one like it. Well, they pull him up out of there, and you can almost see him beaten. You can almost see him disheveled. You can almost see him having been tortured. And he walks by Simon Peter in the courtyard, the scriptures say, and his eyes met Peter's. Can you imagine? His eyes meet Peter's. I think Peter's heart was ripped to shreds on the inside of him mentally and emotionally. He's broken. He failed just as Jesus predicted. How many of us intend by choice to go out next week and disobey Jesus? None. How many of us attacked by Satan and betrayed by our old nature may during the next week disobey Christ? Oh. Would you or I have stood with Christ that night and gone to prison with him or gone to the cross with him? Would we? Was their behavior, Peter and the other disciples who followed afar off, because of inherent weakness or cowardice? It was such a night, in such a circumstance, with all the forces of hell attacking the Son of God, not to mention that the sovereign plan of God from eternity past was being fulfilled. The evil one had attempted to kill Christ repeatedly, but now is the appointed time. Now is the date for which he came to planet Earth. Now is the assignment he, ex he accepted long ago in the councils of heaven. Now he would go to Calvary's cross. In a moment like that, it would have been virtually unbearable. And so it was for Simon. And Simon denies the Lord Jesus. Some of you have already experienced situations in your life in which you were so overwhelmed, you simply couldn't stand it. Some of you may face such circumstances in your life, yet ahead. But God, do in those moments stand. Go to prison if you need. Die for him if they, he so choose. But whatever, lean on Jesus. You need him. You cannot stand on your own. Lean on Jesus. But if you fall, remember the words of Chris Rice's song of a number of years ago. Like a newborn baby, don't be afraid to crawl. And remember, when you walk, sometimes we fall. So, fall on Jesus. Fall on Jesus. Fall on Jesus and live. Stand but when you fail, flee to Christ. Fall on Jesus. The one who saved your soul stands ready to forgive you of whatever occurred in your life. If we confess our sins, he is indeed faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. Is it true? Hallelujah. It is so. In a stressful moment, Peter denied Christ. 
What is the possibility? Oh, there is a possibility. You may need this morning when you are thinking about this to come to the realization in your heart and your life that you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. I don't care how religious you are. I don't care what you're a member of. I don't care what experience you had. But you come to the position where you know, hey, look, I am the devil's. He can use me for himself. I don't belong to God. I've never really been born again. You need this day to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And some of you, you are saved. You know the Lord. You know you've been born again. But oh, how you need to repent and turn to Him. And in the tenderness of an invitation moment, that is precisely what you ought to do. And for some of you, you just need to get ready for battle. Because you are a walking target, a bullseye, and Satan has you in his view, and he will do all he can to defeat you. Would you bow your heads, please? With heads bowed and eyes closed, I want you to think about what God would have you do on this morning. Come, receive Jesus as Savior. Brother Harley will be here. Others will be here. Come, kneel here and pray and talk to him in repentance. Come and get yourself ready for what lies ahead, understanding that you are a bullseye. It's written all across you, and the devil will do all he can to attack you. But when we stand in a moment to sing an invitation hymn, come and be obedient to what Christ would have you do. Father, we commit the invitation to you, and we're trusting you, Lord, to work in our hearts. Thank you for the exhortation of Scripture and for our Savior, the Lord Jesus, who is our advocate with the Father, our great high priest. Thank you in the name of Christ. Amen.